Many millennia ago, at the peak of Mount Hermon in the Golan Heights, a group of divine beings known as the Watchers, or Sons of God, descended in an act of rebellion against their king, Yahweh. By teaching them the secret knowledge of the cosmos, they sought to wrestle dominion of the earth away from humanity. They bore children with them, and their offspring were both human and divine. These giants are the demigods of old, and the events that transpired would forever alter the course of human history. At Camp Hermon, we discuss the oddities of the ancient world and their lingering impact on our world today. Welcome. Hey campers, welcome back to another episode of Camp Hermon. I am your host, Chris Price, and I'm flying solo. Well, not exactly solo, but Tori is literally off baking cakes right now with her bakery, the Little Spoon Bakery. Find her on Instagram. Buy her stuff. I don't know if she mails uh, mails baked goods, but if you're in the Kansas City area, they're up. I imagine I haven't had any of her pies or her baked goods, but I'm sure they're delicious. So we're recording this Wednesday before Thanksgiving. So it's a busy time of year for her. And our boy Mikey Stibbs is preparing for that feast he's having with his family tomorrow. So here I am. But I'm not alone. We've got our scholar in residence, Dr. Douglas Hamp. What's up, Doc? How are you doing? Hey, it's great to see you, Chris. This is going to be a lot of fun. Good to see you, too. You you just came back from Krav Maga. You got a shower. Feeling good? I'm feeling great, up. yes. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I got beat up, but I gave some, too, you know. So. There you go. <laughs> I'm a lover, not a fighter, okay? Just there you go. <laughs> put that out there. Yeah, well... <laughs> That's the strategy. It's a a talent you never want to use, you know. So you know, I I do carry a gun though, so I kind of have that Indiana Jones approach. If you okay. remember, uh, I forget yeah. which which film it was. That scene, yeah, where the guy jumps jumps out with a big sword and he's swinging it around. Indiana Jones just pulls out his gun and shoots the guy. <laughs> That's more my right. my speed there. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> well, so on tonight we're gonna be talking about. Some topics from your book, Corrupting the Image, Angels, Aliens, and the Antichrist Revealed. If you have not gotten a copy of uh, Dr. Doug's book, you can go to Amazon. It's Corrupting the Image. Uh, it's got volume one, volume two. I forget, Doc, three volumes? or you're Three volumes. On the third. Yep. Okay, three. You're working, working on, on the fourth. fourth. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So go, go to Amazon. I'll drop a link uh, to the uh, Amazon page where you can get his book. Uh, in the show notes, are you on Audible? I am. Yes. Okay. The audiobooks are there. Yep. Right. If you prefer to listen to your books, check out Audible. So we're going to be talking about some topics from uh, from the first few chapters. And if you haven't read the book, you don't have to. You don't have to have read it to enjoy this episode. Um, we're just going to be talking about topics from some of the chapters, like the genetics of the incarnation, reborn with the seed of the Messiah and the sons of God in the days of Noah. So here we go. In the genetics of the incarnation, uh, you mentioned that Jesus was connected genetically to his mother, Mary, as well mm -hmm. as to Abraham, uh, David, and Adam. Can you, can you kind of talk about that a little bit? Because I think a lot of times when we think about the incarnation, I think we have trouble, a lot of us, 
thinking of that as like a, obviously it was a literal physical thing, but like mm-hmm. when it comes to like the DNA and the seed, like how did right. all that work? Yeah. So, you know, I think last time we talked about the seed to some extent and, you know, seed is uh, one of those things that being in the the digital age, the genetics age has really helped us to understand what is a seed. I asked myself that question some years ago, uh, you know, staring at a watermelon seed. I'm like, what's inside this thing, right? What, what makes it work? Uh, you put it in the ground and why does it grow? Okay. And it's because it has information inside of it. You get down into those chromosomes, you get down to the genes, you get down to the double helix. What's inside the double helix? You have nucleic acids, A, G, T, and C. But what's inside there? Well, it's information. And that is where we cross over from a physical um, device uh, into a non-material entity. So this non-material entity requires a physical medium, but in and of itself is not physical, right? And that's we call it data, right? We call that information. And, you know, we understand this pretty well. We use our cell phones all the time and we're sending emails and getting phone calls and sending pictures. And how is that happening? Well, you know, it takes that picture and it breaks it down into little bits, right? It sends little packets over the wire or the air or where, you know, however it's doing that, you know, again, we're sending something that you can't touch, you can't see it, and yet it works, right? Uh, and then it's reconstructed at the other end. So with the information we're talking about, uh, with the, that's what a seed is ultimately, is it's information in a physical package. And it's the information that uh, makes it work, all right? And and there's, you know, line upon line upon line of code. And that's one of the reasons why I think to com- to believe only in evolution is just foolhardy. You know, um, you know, we could certainly have a whole discussion about how much God may have used evolution. That's another discussion. But to suggest that it's only evolution and there was no creator, there was no mind behind these things is just idiotic because, um, you know, when, when Darwin was forming his whole ideas about uh, survival of the fittest and that, you know, a little here, a little there and he didn't even understand what a cell was. They just thought it was kind of a blob, like a, a brick. You know, he, they didn't understand the complexity of a cell. They didn't understand anything about DNA and all these other things, let alone information, right? They had no idea about these things. And yet the Bible, uh, in its incredible wisdom, it, it doesn't tell us, you know, genetics per se, but it gives us enough so that it's accurate and we can understand it. And uh, it certainly doesn't have any place where it uh, contradicts uh, what we've understood now with uh, modern science and, and whatnot. So when you start thinking about the the genetics of the incarnation, uh, this was something that uh, I, I just got so excited when I, you know, just kept reading and putting pieces together. I was like, oh my goodness. You know, a lot of us have heard of the original sin, you know, that there was something that was passed from our parents to us and it goes all the way back to Adam. And what is that original sin? What is this the, the, this this thing that we're born with that makes us so terrible is and and it really comes down to two things is it a moral issue that's how it's often been portrayed that we are morally deficient because of adam right and so uh it's not our fault we're just inclined to sin and that's that but what i discovered is that the whole idea of being born in sin or uh under death is a genetic issue. 
All right. So, you know, if you take a uh, photocopy and then you make a, well, you take the original, then you photocopy it. Was there a loss in information? Of course, right? We all know that. And then you photocopy the photocopy. There's even more loss of information. And then you make a photocopy of that photocopy of the photocopy of the original. You keep losing information and so on and so forth. And so with every subsequent generation, we are losing information. That's why we're actually more mutant than our parents, right? So, you know, <laughs> parents, if you're wondering, yes, your kids are little mutants. So are you. <laughs> uh, but um, but we're all losing information. So, but we have to understand that Jesus, in order to save us, he had to come in our likeness. That's what we're told in uh, Hebrews chapter two, is that Christ came in our likeness. It says, inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. All right. So he is flesh and blood and he had to come to be um, the one who could save us. He had to be of us. He had to be like us. He had to be related to us. And the only way to do that is to come in our seed. And yet there's something special, right? And this is where the, the virgin birth comes in. All right. So as I was studying, I discovered these two guys, uh, Mark Bradman and Thomas, Bradman and Thomas, they wrote a paper, why, why? And it was about the evolution of the, uh, the human uh, Y chromosome uh, in antiquity. And, you know, I don't know if they were Bible believers or not, but, but it's interesting that the kind of the uh, analogies that they use, they were talking about how um, that something happened in the Y chromosome of the original man. And that was passed down to every subsequent man. And so they said, well, if we kind of liken it in the language of the Bible, then uh, Adam passed, you know, his Y chromosome to Seth, Seth passed his Y chromosome to Enosh, uh, until you get to Noah and so forth, right? And so here's here's the kicker. Every one of us from Adam, we have the same Y chromosome. We all have the same exact identical Y chromosome, right? And they say there was a record of an event. They say, oh, but you know what? It, it had no effect on, on the original guy. You know, and I'm just sitting there thinking, hmm, wait a second. You're telling me there's a record of an event from Adam, and it's been passed on to everybody. What if it was a big deal? What if something happened in that Y chromosome that somehow it took away uh, vital information, information that had it been there, maybe we would not die. You know, maybe we would have remained immortal. And, and then I thought, wait a second, there's one person who did not have Adam's Y chromosome, right? You know, uh, get the drums, <laughs> drum roll. It was Jesus, right? So Jesus does not have Adam's Y chromosome, but he does carry Mary's uh, mitochondrial DNA and, you know, all these different things. Uh, you know, so the, the, the human side of Jesus definitely comes through his mother. And that's very important so that he is related to us. He's connected to us. He is, you know, he's of the seed of David. He's of the seed of Abraham. He's related uh, in the nth degree. 
But on the male side, he doesn't have Adam's Y chromosome. And I think that is the very reason why there had to be a virgin birth, because Jesus could not carry that Y chromosome. Otherwise, he would have been subjected to to the penalty of death right from the get-go. And and I think that was one of Satan's, um, you know, clever little secrets, right? Because, and if we go on there in Hebrews chapter 2, it says that he likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So we got to remember that Jesus gave up his life. He laid it down of his own free will, right? He says, no one takes my life. I'm laying it down for you guys. Uh, I get the impression that, uh, you know, Jesus may not have needed uh, to eat. I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm speculating here, Um, you know, because I get the impression that Adam and Eve, before they fell, did not need to eat to maintain their life. I think they ate for the very pleasure of eating, right? And that's what we all wish we could do without getting fat. <laughs> um, I think in the age to come, we'll get to eat just for the the pure joy of it. Uh, but now we have to eat in order to keep, you know, ourselves alive. So, um, so Jesus, uh, you know, chances are, as far as I understand, he would not have died, you know, unless of course somebody actually went to kill him, right? He, I don't think he would have necessarily, um, you know, given up the ghost at 80 years old or 90 years old or whatever. And, and I think the same is true of Adam and Eve before they fell. They they were in a state of innocence. And as long as you didn't disrupt that innocence, they would have gone on forever. But then, you know, they they took the, the fatal fruit and then death entered into them. And then it became part of their DNA. I mean, in a very literal sense, death became ingrained in their DNA, and then they passed on that faulty seed to everybody on planet Earth has that faulty seed, at least on the male side. And and it says that it was through Adam that death came, not through Eve. You know, it says that Eve took of the fruit and she ate of it, and then she did what? She gave it to her husband who was with her. He ate it, and their eyes were opened. So, you know, when she ate it, I, I really think that Adam was uh, letting Eve take the lead. She took the fruit. She took a bite. And he's like, hmm, nothing happened. Right. God said that we would die, but she she ate of it. And nothing happened. And then he ate of it. And that is when their eyes were open because it wasn't through Eve that sin came, but through Adam. Death came through Adam. God told Adam, don't eat of it. God made Adam from the Adama. And it was Adam who was the federal head of the planet, of the very earth, the dirt. And what happened to him happened to everything else. And so when death entered into Adam, it also entered into the Adama. And it, from the Adama, it entered into everything that came out of the Adama, which would be you know, all the, the four-footed creatures and every creepy crawly and everything that's in the, the, the waters as well. Everything that had life came from uh, the dirt and Adam was the living, breathing federal head of the dirt. 
I don't want to derail where we're headed, but I did want to ask you the fruit. Is it, are we talking about literal fruit? Like, what is that scene? Do you think like looked like, is it just literal fruit? He ate the fruit. Like, I think so. What's yeah. going on there? Now it, okay. it probably wasn't an apple. You know, we, there's no reason to suspect it was an apple. Uh, some people think it may have been a pomegranate, um, you know, could have been figs. Okay. You know, because they but, would then later cover themselves with fig leaves. We don't know what the fruit mm-hmm. was. Uh, it may be something that's just not even extant anymore. It just was that good, delicious. And uh, it, it's gone by the wayside. That would so be not guess. a, not like a metaphor or an allegory or for, for yeah. something else, you don't think? No, I really don't think so. I, I really think that God made a garden. He made the garden of pleasure, Eden. And he put Adam and Eve in there, and there were two trees in particular that were at the center of the garden. There was a tree of of life, and then there was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why would God put a tree there when Adam just might eat of it and it might kill him? Oh my goodness, right? This is one of these questions. I think the answer is really quite simple. Now, I I can say it's quite simple after spending, I don't know, dozens and (laughs) dozens, probably hundreds of hours you know, thinking it over. Uh, but, you know, as I've uh, kind of come come through the whole ordeal, I'm like, oh, oh, I get it. So if you, you know, here you are, you're, you're a, a mad scientist and you're making a robot, which is not that far away, right? But people make a robot and you want the robot to be in your image and in your likeness. Why, why are you making this robot? Because you want a friend. You know what? I can't find any good friends out there. So I'm going to make a robot and I want a best friend. So if you make your robot, it's your best friend. It does everything you want and all this amazing stuff. You're such a good companion. But inside, you know, wait a second. He's only my friend because I programmed him that way. I want a true friend, okay? I mean, it's nice, you know, to have a companion and all that. But but I can't really call him a friend because he loves me because I made him love me. I want my friend to love me because he chooses to love me. And so the only way to make a robot with free will is to give him free will, you know, is to somehow program it in there in such an incredible way that this robot has the option to say, you know what, you know, blank, blankety blank you, I'm out of here. I don't want (laughs) to talk to you ever again. And he leaves, right? That's the only way. That's the risk. If you want someone that can actually have love toward you, you have to give them the option to hate you. And so God gave Adam and Eve the the only thing they needed, which was a tree with the knowledge of good and evil. Now, look what, what happened when they ate of the fruit. What did God say? Hey, look, man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Is that a bad thing? I don't think so. I think it's a good thing. I think it's the very intention was for Adam and Eve to be like God. That, In other words, they would have the knowledge of good and evil. I think God wanted them to have that. But there were two options, don't forget, right? To eat or not to eat. Now, we know what they did. They ate. But there was another option, and that was to not eat by saying, you know what? Satan, we're not going to eat of that fruit. We've decided we're not going to do that. God said not to. And so we're just not going to do it. And by making that decision, I think God would have said, hey, look, man has now become like one of us, knowing good Mm. and evil. And then he would have said, now 
let him stretch out his hand and take of the tree of life and live forever. But because man ate of that fruit, which he wasn't supposed to do, he got the result that God desired, which his eyes would be open to the knowledge of good and truth, good and evil. But he ate of it, which then brought death into him. And so then God said, now lest he stretch out his hand and take from the tree of life. And so God drove him out of the garden. Right, so there were there were two options, you know. God did not pre-program this thing; it was not, um, you know, set against Adam. He had uh, two real viable choices, and you know, he chose the bad option. Unfortunately. Okay, so considering that through the sin, the DNA was corrupted, like we're talking about, is it possible that? that tree there was something in the fruit that like from a physical genetic standpoint caused that i think that i think that's very very likely can't prove that but you know it, it's really quite simple if you have you know um you know one zero one zero one zero you've got all this binary code right and you have that let's say on a piece of paper um as long as you don't change any of that code then you have a perfect code but if you change one number one number. It's now not the same code. There's now an error, a bug in the code, right? Now, it may not be so deleterious that it's going to kill you immediately, right? It may not crash your computer immediately, but given enough time, given enough iterations, you know, given enough, you know, all the stuff that your computer does, uh, eventually you you get that blue screen of death or whatever, mm. you, you know, get on the Mac or whatever, wow. um, you know? And so, so that's what we're talking about is that there was a, a, a very slight disruption, but a disruption nevertheless. And so that disruption, we call that decay, degeneration, death, um, sin. That's another word for it. You know, it, it, sin is something that's not perfect. Right. So any time you introduce an imperfection into the code, you now have death. And it's only a matter of time until that death, until that error will eventually manifest in such a way that it is catastrophic wow. and uh, and critical. That's fascinating to think about that. Wow. All right. So I think that was relevant and that was good, but back on track. So we're talking <laughs> about the the genetics of the incarnation. Um, so there's no, you're talking about, there's no influence from the male side, but there is from the female side. And so the Holy spirit comes in. The Holy spirit provides, right. The Holy spirit provides the male gamete. Okay. He provides the male gamete, you know, so just a quick review for people that might've forgotten, uh, you know, a, a woman, uh, in her egg, she contributes an X chromosome and a man can contribute either a Y or an X chromosome, uh, depending on whether it's going to be a boy or a girl, right? So, um, you know, so if it's a boy, then he's contributing a Y chromosome. Uh, and so when the Holy Spirit was overshadowing Mary, he was, uh, you know, and of course, this is where we don't know. Did he sort of have a a Y chromosome that he brought from heaven, or did he, you know, sort of make it right then and there inside the womb? I don't know. I just have no idea. But regardless, how you know of how he he did all that cool stuff, 
there was a Y chromosome that was given by the Holy Spirit. And then that Y chromosome fused, the, or the male gamete, I should say, the male gamete fused with Mary's gamete, hence the egg, the ovum. And, um, you know, whether you want to call it a sperm. Now, this is where people get a little bit squeamish. Like, what, what do you mean God has sperm, you know? Well, you know, <laughs> a quick, quick review of uh, the Greek language. The word sperm simply means seed, right? That's all it means. Seed, right? Sperm, seed, same thing. And it even says in 1 John 3, 9, no one having been born again continues to sin for the sperm, the sperma of God dwells in him, right? And wow, like that's pretty wild, right? So so there's something going on there uh, regarding, um, you know, regarding, regarding this. Um, so it's, it's, you know, certainly cool stuff to say the least. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, it was, it was through, uh, it was through the Holy, you know, the Holy Spirit gave that seed. Um, and, you know, another thing to just keep in mind is that, you know, I was talking about how the, the, the creation itself was, uh, was, was distressed. It's going to be corrected uh, when the Lord comes back. It says, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected to hope, because the creation itself will also be just delivered from the bondage of corruption into the liberty of the glorious liberty of the children of God. So, you know, everything that has been, uh, that has decayed, been because become degenerate, is going to be restored when the Lord comes back. And this was all made possible by the uh, the rebirth, or not excuse me, the rebirth, but by the incarnation uh, of Jesus. Uh, Peter says this in First Peter one twenty three having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. The, the word word is actually logos, right? So um, yeah, you know, it, it all, it all comes together uh, when we start, when we start looking at it, you know, even John says, uh, or uh, in Jesus says in the book of John, that a person must be born from above or born, from, born again, born from above where he cannot see the kingdom of God, right? So all these things, you know, you just start taking them a little bit more literally, you're like, oh man, these really start coming together in, in some some pretty amazing ways. And, you know, I'm not saying you can't get any any good in, um, insight from it if you take it allegorically, but it's really exciting when you start taking it literally. And the more I take it literally on average, the more amazing it kind of gets. And so that's what really intrigues me. Yeah, no, it's it's fascinating to think about it from like a literal, physical, like genetic sense. It really just kind of enriches the scriptures, so to speak, um, or enriches us to the scriptures mm-hmm. of what's actually kind of going on. It just it's just deeper. Um, that's amazing. All right, so in chapter four, reborn with the seed of the Messiah. You get into talking about how we are born again. And so when someone is born again, you mentioned like we get like a 
I think you mentioned like a temporary deposit of of the mm. Holy Spirit as far as mm. how we're made new creations in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away and all th- behold, all things have become new. But that's not that final sense of this new birth, right? That's not going to happen until the resurrection. So what do you think is going on there genetically as far as that rebirth goes yeah you know and and that one's a little bit a little bit tough to understand um we definitely get a a uh, a down payment there, there's no question about that we're told that the holy spirit is the guarantee or the guarantor um you know if you go and you buy a house you got to put down some earnest money uh you know putting some skin in the game so to speak uh and it means that you're serious about it you're not going to walk away from it and that's that's the same language that is being used of the Holy Spirit, like this is merely the down payment, all right? I mean, it's important so that you understand that God is not going to leave us as orphans. He's going to come back. He's going to give us new bodies, but here's the Holy Spirit in the meantime. And this takes us back to creation. When God breathed into Adam, what did he breathe into Adam other than his own Ruach, his spirit? I mean, what else would God breathe into Adam, you know, just oxygen? (laughs) Well, I suppose there was that that too, but I think it was actually his spirit. I think Adam lost his spirit. I think he lost God's spirit when he sinned. And that's why he died immediately because the the plug was yanked out of the socket, so to speak, uh, when Adam ate of that fruit and he died spiritually. He died immediately because the connection was severed with God. And so Jesus giving us the Holy Spirit is is restoring that connection, uh, even though we don't have the fullness of our bodies yet. And as I mentioned there in 1 John 3, 9, no one having been born again continues to sin for the seed of God dwells in him. Uh, That kind of blows my mind, you know, when I start thinking about that. Um, You know, it even says in Isaiah 53, 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. That's the Hebrew word zera. It's the same thing. It means sperm. It means seed. Uh, and then, of course, what, what Peter said, right, that we are born not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. Right. So having been born again, not of corruptible seed, that's what we were born naturally with, is corruptible, degenerate seed. But we're going to have some some incorruptible seed. You know exactly what that means. Well, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, I've shared you know my book with with various people, and they got really excited about this. They actually believe, and they might be right, that we have um, somehow God's DNA in us, and that there's some genetic transformation that takes place in the life of a believer. The only reason that I'm a little bit hesitant to accept that is because i don't know i don't know if there's any way to prove such a theory you know i mean maybe there is and i'm just completely ignorant about it uh but but maybe it's something that you know there's no scientific scientific uh way to vouch that and um until i have that i i just kind of like to <laughs> you know tread lightly so but the new body that we're going to get will be analogous to adam's body before the fall and this is what I talk about with the, the biophotonics, um, 
which I think we talked about last time, right? So bodies of light that Adam and Eve were walking around with these bodies of light. And we're going to have new bodies. We're going to have bodies that actually glow. Remember when Moses went up on top of the mountain and he came down after spending 40 days and nights with God in all of God's amazing glory. Well, not all of it, but a good chunk of it. And he came down and it says he did not realize that the skin of his face was shining. And, uh, and I guess that kind of freaked people out, you know. So, so that's something when you spend time in God's presence in a very literal sense, then you absorb his incredible light and then you re-emit that light. Now, our bodies being uh, fragile and, uh, you know, frail <laughs> uh, just cannot endure the fullness of that. And so when Moses actually says, hey, show me your glory, you know, even though he had gotten a big chunk of that glory, God's like, eh, man can't see my face and live, right? Uh, and and I don't think God was just kind of being snobbish, like, sorry, you, you just can't see me because I'm that cool. I think he was saying, if you look at me, you'll die, you know, because my, the, 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 affluence of my face is so much that it is overwhelming to a mortal and it will kill him. So, you know, even when Ezekiel sees God in a vision, he's overwhelmed and he falls on his face as if he's dead, you know, and then, then God has to stand him up. And the same thing happened with Daniel as well. And these are just dreams or visions that they're having. They're not even like Moses who was actually in God's very presence and, um, you know, so it's overwhelming, but we're going to have bodies that are going to have uh, perfect DNA, incorruptible seed. I think it'll be very analogous to the body that, that we have today. It'll probably have, you know, Doug features, yours will have some Chris features, but I think this is probably the good news. You know, the features that we don't like too much, we'll probably be very happy with them there. Uh, any supposed, you know, any flaws that we, yes, indeed do have will no longer be flaws in that day and age uh, because we will not have any kind of corruptible seed. It'll all be incorruptible. And so then when God shines on us, we're going to take in his His light and then we will re-emit that light. And so our faces as well will be glowing. Now, what about some of these bad uh, tattoos that I have? I think those will be gone, I hope. <laughs> I, think those are, I think those will be gone. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> good, good, good. Um, man, that's that sounds amazing. So I've always wondered when it comes to those bodies, like if if we can't die, does that mean like we can't get injured, or like is the healing so quick, almost like Wolverine, that we just like mm. regenerate so fast? Or like if you if your hand got cut off in an accident, you can just kind of like put it back on and it'll just everything will just kind of heal and reattach or is it going to be yeah. as such that like accidents just won't happen like that? Yeah. I get the impression that, that we just won't have those kinds of accidents. You know, I think you can probably, uh, you know, jump off a cliff, uh, you know, to 10,000 feet and you hit the ground and maybe you bounce or something. You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I, it's really hard to say what, yeah what that's going to look like. Um, but if, if uh, Jesus resurrected body was any indication, you know, he was able to pass through walls at will. Um, you know, uh, Philip was uh, 
it says he was translated. You know, he was basically, <laughs> um, he was beamed Star Trek style, uh, <laughs> you know, from, from one place to another in an instant, mm-hmm. right? So I, I think it, it's not that the laws of physics go away, but, you know, every time we learn, every time we make some new discovery, we're like, oh, we're not actually breaking the rules of physics by flying. We just discovered the laws of aerodynamics, you know? Mm-hmm. And and I think that we are going to have this complete knowledge of God's laws and that we will be able to operate within those laws with incredible fluidity and ease. And, you know, the limitations that we have today are probably in large part because of our ignorance. You know, I actually think that we will one day, literally, physically be able to move mountains just by talking to it. Uh, that's, you know, because I've thought about that for a long time. I'm like, Lord, why did you say that? Why did you say we could just speak to the mountain and move it? Like, what does that even mean? You know, and, and um, you know, he did, he spoke to a, a fig tree and he cursed it. That was very literal. He also said you could speak to a mulberry bush and it would be uprooted by the by the roots. And I was like, Okay, so those are very literal. So why did you say we could move mountains? So my my solution is that, you know, one day uh, under the perfect conditions, we will literally be able to speak to the mountains and um, and move them yeah. at will. Uh, but what we don't have today is we don't have perfect wisdom to go with that perfect power. Mm. And, you know, if I were to start moving the, the Rocky Mountains right now, just because I wanted to, I would kill thousands of people, you know, just by moving it an inch this way or that way, uh, because I I don't understand all of the ramifications of, of what I'm about to do. And I might do it for very selfish reasons, right? So I, I think we're going to have incredible power in the age to come. Uh, just mind-blowing stuff, you know, mind-numbing. I, this is why I can hardly wait to write Corrupting the Image Volume 4, because it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, you know, just the, based on the things that the Lord said, you know, if we kind of take those to the nth degree, like what does that look like? It'd be pretty amazing. So, yeah, I suspect you won't have your your hand ever cut off. I think that'll be probably an impossibility. But oh, that sounds that sounds awesome. And when you were talking about moving the Rockies, it made me think of uh, the movie Bruce Almighty. I don't know if you, uh, if you remember yeah. that one. And yeah. He 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 moves the moon. He like brings yep. the moon closer, and like a bunch of people die because of all yeah. the things, that, <laughs> all the things that happen. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. That's that's yeah. interesting. Let's let's talk about the sons of God. Like, who are the sons of God? How can we? Are we sons of God, or is everyone a son of God? Can we become a son of God? Like, what's yeah. going on there? So there's three categories of sons of God. A son of God is anybody who is a direct creation of God. So if you're a direct creation of God, that would be Adam. He was a direct creation of God because God actually took the dirt and he formed him and he made Adam. And so then Eve is kind of a direct creation of God because God borrowed some material from Adam and then he went and formed the woman. So, you know, not quite as much of a direct creation, but still. Uh, in the same category, even though she came out of Adam. And then um, believers were told anyone who believes in his name has the right to become a son of God. That's in John 1, 12. And then we have these others, these angels. So in Psalm 146, um, which I think is just such a beautiful psalm. It's one of my favorites. But it says, you know, praise the Lord, O my soul. Um 
so yeah, praise the Lord, oh my soul. Sorry, Psalm 148. Let me try that again. Uh, praise the Lord. All right, praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you stars of light. Praise him, you heaven of heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord for he commanded and they were created. All right, so when God commanded, all of these different things came into existence. The sun and the moon. Yeah, of course. On day four, God said, let there be a uh, a, a light to rule uh, by day and one to rule by night. You know, the greater one to rule by day and the lesser to rule by night. Uh, and he created the stars. You know, he just spoke them and boom, there they were. So he also spoke the angels into existence. Uh, he commanded and they were created. So those are direct creations of God. Angels are direct creations of God. So those are the three categories of uh, sons of God. And when it talks about in Genesis chapter 6, it says, when men began to multiply in the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were tovot, which means that they were good. Good for what? Well, I, I think for making Nephilim babies. Um, that's how I read that. Uh, it's not just that they were pretty and they wanted to have a family and a white picket fence and, you know, they wanted to walk their little babies down the sidewalk. I, I don't think any of that stuff applies. I think that they were for a purpose and the purpose was to make Nephilim. So fallen angels. Now, here, here's where it gets really interesting. Uh, you know, for those that have, have seen the movie Minority Report, um, you know, you could be charged for a pre-crime, right? You Before you even did the crime, uh, the police would come and, and arrest you and say, you're under arrest for the future crime, right? And well, that doesn't seem really fair, right? But in God's economy, you first have to do the crime and then you do the time. There's no such thing as a, a future crime. And when the angels came down and they took the daughters of men, I actually think that they were still, quote unquote, good angels. In other words, they had not done anything until they uh, procreated with these women. That was the very act that was forbidden that then made them go from being good angels to being bad angels. Okay. You know, if a guy uh, has a gun in hand and he has every intention of going and killing somebody, but then he doesn't actually kill the person. He, you know, decides, oh my gosh, what am I doing? He's not guilty for murder, right? Because he didn't do it. And, um, you know, so he cannot be held guilty for murder in, in that case. You know, if somebody wants to go rob a bank and they've planned for months and months and months, and then at the, at the last minute, they're like, you know what? That would be the wrong thing to do. And they don't do it. They're not guilty of murder, of, of robbing mm -hmm. a bank. So the same thing is true. Um, it was only when they went and did it that they became guilty. And that's when they became bad angels instead of good angels. So okay. I actually think it was good guys that went and they came down. And then by the very act of what they did, they became bad guys. So the pact or the oath that they took on uh, Mount Hermon, yes. um, that that wasn't bad then either. That's just a part of the conspiracy. And you're saying in God's economy, conspiracy is not a crime. Well, Basically. no, I, I, they did conspire. Yes, I, I, I'm, I'm agreeing with you that they did conspire. But even conspirators, um, it's you know, 
Well, I'm not a lawyer, so I, I, I can't say entirely, but um, conspiring to do something is one thing. Doing it is another. Okay. Right. right? So I, I don't know what level of culpability somebody is for mm-hmm. merely conspiring. I think your, your conspiring has to be then followed through by doing. Okay. Even if you should fail in that doing, you still have to try to do it. Right. And, and that's where the law says, okay, now you cross the line. You know, dreaming about it is one thing. Doing it is another. Okay. Yeah. And um, so, you know, I think it was, again, quote unquote, good guys, good angels, not fallen angels, but angels with a lot of mischief in their hearts, angels that were very much intending to do bad things that came down on Mount Hermon. And they said, hey, let's do this. Well, what if one, what if one of us backs out? You know, what if, you know, we haven't fallen yet? There's no penalty for what we're doing yet. What, what if, uh, you know, I go and I do this and then you don't, and then I'm left holding the bag, you know? And so that's, I think, when they made this pact, which is the word cherem, right? That's where the word hermon comes from, is to make a an oath that you will do this no matter the cost. You will go through with what you are conspiring to do. And it's been known as Mount Hermon for the longest of times. Uh you know, even as far back as uh, the book of uh, Joshua, it's called Hermon. Uh, and so that's that's the reason. So, again, I think they were very much planning it. They were, you know, yeah, they were planning it. They were, they were going to do it. They were conspiring. But only when they actually took the women, that is when they crossed that that red line. And God's like, OK, you know, now you're now you're a bad guy, you know. Before you were just a, an aspiring bad guy, <laughs> you know. So that was the Nephilim conspiracy. Yeah, mm, that sounds like a good name for a conference. That does sound like a good name yeah. for a conference. I like that. Stay tuned for details, folks. We <laughs> may uh, we may have something brewing uh, here at Camp Ramon and uh, with Doctor Douglas Hamp. So stay tuned for more details on that in the future. Um. Okay, so by this point, we're in chapter five, the sons of God in the days of Noah. Some people have speculated that by the time God decides to bring the flood, wipe everybody out, it's because the um, genetics of humanity have been so corrupted that there were very few uncorrupted uh, humans on the earth. And in, I can't remember which chapter it is. You mentioned that the population of the earth at that time could have been, I think about 10 billion. Um, Yeah. And I'm curious. So that's kind of two questions I'm asking. (laughs) Um, So I'm wondering about that population number and kind of where that idea comes from, because that's like, kind of wild to to think about that many people being on on earth at that time just because we don't you know we're we're not even there yet we're close but um we're not right. there yet but then so yeah I'll, i'm gonna leave you with both of those questions yeah well you know the speculation on how many people you know is indeed speculation right just kind of looking at the perfect conditions um you know there were 
as far as we can tell, uh, you know, it, it may have childbearing may it might have hurt, uh, but it doesn't seem that there were, um, you know, a lot of a lot of infant mortality like we have today. That's just the basic impression that we get. Uh, you know, so based on these almost perfect conditions, and um, you know, very few environmental things that would have um, would have it would have hampered that in any way you don't have wars you don't have famine you don't have you know natural disasters it's a pretty good time you know and so people were living relatively peacefully except for you know the occasional murder here and there but uh, they were living relatively peacefully uh the the ground gave a lot of its produce uh, so you could have had um you know, you could have had a, a very large population within a very short time. That that's the basic idea. And of course, you you know, right now we have basically 30, 40, 45 years to to make your babies and then you're done, you know. Uh, at least if you're a woman, a man can keep on going. But if you're a woman, that's pretty much it. You know, uh on average, if you have a baby after 40, it's it's pretty it's different, you know. Uh, so it's not impossible, but it's very, very less common. And um, so you could have had a, a very large population in a short period of time. And then, um, so then the other question, uh, remind me again, what was the question? So one of the reasons that God brought the flood is because the, the mm, genetics right. of humanity had been so corrupted that there weren't yeah. very few um, right. humans so, left. So, So that would be based on what, what it says about Noah in Genesis 6, verse 9. It says, Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God, right? So it says that he's just or righteous, tzaddik. But it also says that he's tamim, right? This word tamim, uh, two different ways to, to understand this, but it's often used of, of or in conjunction with a lamb or a, a sheep, and that the sheep is tamim. And uh, it's not talking about um, a moral character because animals are not moral creatures, uh, but they can be genetically pure. And so that gives us the impression that by using this word tamim, that it's saying that Noah was uh, clean, right? You know, he was, uh, well, the word perfect, uh, but clean, that he was not in some way tainted with this uh with this nephilim stuff um and you know only eight people you know so we don't know entirely we, we can't say absolutely but only eight people made it out in the boat i mean that's uh that's kind of something to think about um and and it says that god was going to wipe out everything that has breath on the earth and he says here in verse 11 the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth, right? So again, just looking at this, this whole idea of corruption and that flesh had corrupted itself. And then if we start looking at some of the extra biblical texts, and you know, I take the extra biblical texts with you know a few lumps of salt. Uh, here and there, but um, you know, it, it talks about how the um, 
that there were monsters on the on the earth and that these monsters um uh, did some things uh to the flesh they made well you know they made monsters primarily that's kind of the, the thing they're from this is from the book of uh uh it's the genesis apocryphon which is found in the dead sea scrolls um and um you know that the sons of god were making various monsters so it's a really fragmented text it's hard to say exactly what that means but again the impression is that whatever these sons of god were doing was bad stuff they were doing all kinds of genetic um experimentation they were doing genetic mingling uh with things that you just shouldn't do right and and everything god god said that everything was to reproduce according to its kind so he gave a very clear commandment everything was to reproduce according to its kind so by intermingling different kinds that was against uh god's commandment do you think the uh, dinosaurs were uh those monsters maybe i've, I've wondered that before if, yeah. if dinosaurs were uh hybrids i think it's possible that some of the dinosaurs could have been things that the uh, sons of god cooked up but you know if you look at the behemoth in uh job uh, chapter what 39 40 you know there god is boasting about behemoth right he's like this is the creature that i made and then he talks about leviathan and he's like i made this creature so and leviathan is a scary creature i mean it's a dragon it's a fire breathing dragon <laughs> you know so it wasn't Disney that came up with the fire-breathing dragon. Um, it wasn't mythology that came up with the fire-breathing dragon. According to the Book of the Job, God came up with the fire-breathing dragon. And, um, you know, that one's a pretty scary creature. That's the scariest of any creature I could possibly imagine. And yet God take, is taking full credit for it. So I think we should be very careful when kind of espousing this theory. I, you know, I've heard people say that, oh, the dinosaurs, that that was what the sons of God came up with. But Again, they might have they might have done some experimentation. I'm not not saying that that there maybe not have been some weird creatures out there, but by and large, I think God made the dinosaurs, and I think they were good creatures for the most part. And then I think they just did not adapt well to time after the flood. You know that um, before the flood, you had probably a lot more oxygen, based on everything that we know. Uh, even based on scripture itself, that there was just a much thicker atmosphere that would have, of course, created more oxygen. And so then these animals that were huge, you know, they they needed more oxygen. To get that big, you need more oxygen. That means that all the plants would have been much bigger. And so they would have had a whole lot more to eat. And, um, and then after the flood, you know, again, you don't have to take gigantic dinosaurs on the ark. You take babies or you take eggs, and um and that's enough you know you and then they get off the boat but then it starts getting colder and all kinds of stuff and so i think that is when they probably died out a few generations after the flood until you know well i don't know how long they might have last but i do think that some of the tra the traditions uh, the myth the medieval traditions of you know george and the dragon slayer and all this different stuff and and dragons in general i think are probably uh some creatures that got off the boat uh they managed to survive uh and then you know they turned into myth and legend and now we just think that it's all nonsense but 
I think there's probably some pretty big kernels of truth in there. Yeah, that's fascinating. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Okay. My head, my headset cut out, uh, so I had to take it off. Um, so with the last uh, little bit of time we have here, um, I've got some. I've got a few. Well, a couple of questions and not related to the topic that we've been talking about that were uh, submitted from a couple of a uh, couple of my Facebook friends. I mentioned that you're coming on and I, I asked people for if they had any questions for you. Um, but I do want to say that uh, when we have you, when you come back on next month, we're going to really dig into um, part two of the book and get as far as we can in that. And those topics are, again, just more about the sons of God in the days of Noah. We're going to do a much deeper dive. We may even spend the whole episode um, kind of talking about that antediluvian uh, world, but we're going to talk about the nature of the spiritual dimension. Um, and we're going to talk about the sons of God, according to ancient sources. And we're going to talk about who were the Nephilim, and uh, yeah, that's that one's going to be not that this one hasn't been good, but it's like the way the book goes is is every, everything is just building and building and building. And it just gets more interesting and more intense as you, <laughs> as you go along. Um, so we're going to dive. We're going to just keep diving deeper and deeper um, every month. But that so that doc, that brings me to these questions. And you can be as you can be as brief uh, as you want to be um, with these, or as lengthy as you want to be. So this first question comes from Michael Sanders, and he wants to know what your thoughts on Nim. He said, "Thoughts on Nimrod? Does he believe that he'll return?" <laughs> um, yeah. So I deal with that a lot in Corrupt Image Volume Two, uh, and to some degree in chapters in book three. Um, <clears throat> I don't think Nimrod, the man is going to return, but I think that, and, and this is a little fuzzy, but I think that the, the spirit of Nimrod will return. So as I understand it, Satan fused himself with Nimrod back in the day. And then by doing that, he gave Nimrod his power, his throne, and his authority. Uh, what the ancient world describes it is, as is the tablet of destinies, right? So Enlil gave Ninurta, Nimrod, the power, the tablet of destinies. Um, and I think this then made Nimrod into a god. Uh, we we see vestiges of his name all over the place. He's Marduk, he's Martu, who became the god of the Amorites. He is uh, Martes, which is Mars, right? So that's the god of the Romans, who is you know represented by the planet Mars. He's the god of war, but he's Ninurta or Nimrod, right? It's the same guy. You just have to trace the language, and and you begin seeing this. Uh, with in incredible clarity. So I, then I think at some point that individual died. Okay. The guy that we call Nimrod, I think he died at some point. He probably lasted a very long time, but eventually he died. Um, and, but 
Um, and, and so one of the reasons I think this is when we see that Satan himself entered into Judas, what does Jesus call him in John 17? He calls him the son of perdition. That's interesting. That's a special key right there. Because then in the writings of Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he talks about the man of sin, the son of perdition, who will go into the temple, he will declare himself to be God, and he will show himself to be God. So this individual is going to have all of the power, throne, and authority of the dragon. Um, and I think this is, you know, this may be done in a couple of different ways, but I think the same basic um, overshadowing that Satan did on Nimrod, I think he will do on this individual. And then this person's DNA will actually change. And I, I talk about this in Corrupting the Image of Volume 2. There's a guy named Chris out of Reno, Nevada, who had leukemia and so he needed to get a bone marrow donor and this guy from germany gave him some some bone marrow and uh chris's dna began to change to that of his donor and, and so i think that's the same basic idea is that you know satan was the donor to nimrod and then his dna began to change to that of the donor aka satan and so that he he really wasn't himself anymore he became a gibor and that is what i think is going to happen to a man in the future who will be you know born basically in our time uh, but then he will undergo this this uh transformation and so then let's call it the spirit or the dna that inhabited nimrod will now inhabit this individual that we call the antichrist or the beast okay so i think we we've kind of i think we touched on this in a previous episode uh but i don't know i could i could talk about some of the stuff around nimrod you know is just a fascinating uh kind of topic and and okay so if there's dna at play here when they discovered gilgamesh nimrod's body right um in iraq uh, back before the war. Some people think that's why, you know, the war, the first war uh, in Iraq popped yeah. off. They discovered, <laughs> they discovered yeah. the body. Maybe. Do you, think, do you think there's DNA, like Satan's DNA would be in that body? I, th I think it's possible. You know, I, I think, uh, now we don't know if they found the body of Gilgamesh. They found the tomb of Gilgamesh. Um, you know, whether they have the body is, uh, is up for, as up for debate, you know, maybe they did. I I'm okay if they did, uh, but we don't have any particular evidence that they did. So we just had to keep that in mind, you know, other than the, uh, fantastic stories that we hear, uh, <laughs> that are, that are, you know, floating around on the internet. So, um, but you know, even if they did Gilgamesh is dead, right? So, and Gilgamesh is probably Nimrod, right? So now in my book, um, Regenesis Code, I, I, I have a chapter on that and I, I do a little speculation. You know, it's all, it's all fun in a fiction book, right? So you can get away with stuff in a fictional work. But um, when you're trying to talk, you know, boots on the ground, facts, that's another thing that requires evidence and testimony and, and whatnot. So 
you know, again, I would suggest that that Satan's DNA is what made Nimrod become this gigas. Oh, sorry, <laughs> my chair kind of died. Uh, um, yeah, so I would suggest that it was Satan's DNA that made Nimrod become Nimrod, become a gigas or become a gibor. It was the presence of of his DNA, just like this guy Chris out of Reno, Nevada. You know his the donor, the donor's DNA began to replace his own, and and that's what was significant, right? So if that donor gave it gave his DNA to some other person, well then that other person would have the donor's DNA, right? And, and so that's what I'm trying to get at is that yeah, Nimrod got Satan's DNA, and then a guy in the future named that we call the Antichrist, he will also have Satan's DNA. And so it'll be the same identical DNA that was in in Nimrod will also be in this future guy. Um, and then that's how I, I kind of see that happening. Not that the very individual um, who was born to, um, to Kush is going to come back. Okay, gotcha. All right, so this last question... Uh, comes from another friend on Facebook. And Matt, I have never heard your last name pronounced, so forgive me if I butcher this. Matt Piermani Brace. He asks, uh, let's see here, it's kind of long. Regarding the separation of Enlil and El and uh, Baal, Zeus, and Jupiter, I'm going to try to interpret this. Um, do you view them as separate entities or one in the same? So there's multiple questions. So we'll start with this mm. one. Um, just Satan under a different mask. Yeah, really. I, I think it's Satan under a different mask. So, you know, if we go to, to the Romans, they have Jupiter, right? And we t- take Jupiter back to the Greeks and then it's Zeus, right? And we take Zeus back to Mesopotamia. It's Baal. Baal just means Lord. Uh, if we take that back to, you know, more ancient times to the Akkadians or the Sumerians, that would become Marduk or Martu. And and then you look at those three root letters, um, M, so Mem, Reish, and Dalit, or Taf, depending, it'd be Dalit, basically, uh, but it could be represented by a T. So that becomes Marad, which is Marduk or um, Nimrod. Okay. So Nimrod just means let's rebel. So it's those same three root letters, right? And again, if it was Satan, Enlil, who gave his DNA to Nimrod, then uh, that's how that's how it happens, right? Um, now, uh, you know, part of it gets a little bit fuzzy. It's not always easy to have a a one-for-one correlation because the longer these legends go on the murkier they get you know so by the time you get to some of the greek and roman iterations of uh, these things it's it's hard to say exactly what the family lines are the family trees we can't say that with too much certainty and of course uh you know, the, the the devil side doesn't have to always tell the truth, right? So they talk about Anu, the creator God, but they say, oh, but yeah, we uh, we killed him, we slew him, or, um, you know, we basically usurped him and took all of his power away. And 
on the one hand, they're kind of being truthful. And on the other hand, they're not always being truthful. So sometimes it gets a little bit challenging to, to sort, say, sort through and say exactly who is who. Um, but um, yeah, I, w- I would say that, you know, by and large, Zeus is roughly Enlil, but it's not always 100% because you do have this, this Nimrod figure and then Nimrod becomes Heracles, who becomes Hercules um, later on, uh, you know, and so, so again, it, it's challenging, right? It is definitely challenging uh, to, to try to make sense of this. We have a bilingual inscription that was found in Malta. It's in Phoenician and in Greek. And on the Maltan or the Phoenician side, it's talking about, it's talking about uh, the king of the underworld, who is Melkart. All right. Uh, so Melkart, king of the underworld, that's probably a designation for Enlil. But then in the Greek side, it's Heracles or Hercules. So, you know, and that would be equivalent to Nimrod, right? So again, how to figure that out. But what's interesting is that it says that Enlil gave all of his his uh, power, or he gave the, the Tablet of Destinies to his son, Ninurta. And, you know, so again, it's, it gets a little bit crisscrossed and trying to make sense of these sometimes. And so that's why I would say, yeah, yes, but okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. So yes, with an asterisk, an asterisk you know. Right. <laughs> so um, kind of piggybacking off of that, and this will be the last question I ask you, and we'll go off and enjoy our uh, Thanksgiving uh, rest of the week, I guess. So is it possible too that some of the other like ancient gods, and I don't even I don't even speculate on which ones, but that some of them are just other fallen entities, like other rebel sons of God, not just Satan, but some of the other guys? Well, um I mean, I guess it's you know, I think you know, um, you know, Ashtoret or Ishtar, that's probably a different entity, as far as I can tell. Um, and, and there probably are a number of others. It's just when we're talking about the main dude, I mean, the thing that I walk away with concerning Satan is he seems like he's kind of stuck on himself, you know, like he seems like he really believes his own press reports that he is the greatest, and, and so you know. I, yeah, there. I'm sure there. Of course, there are other actors that uh, that are helping him and doing his bidding. We know that from scripture, but they don't get the press. You know, I mean, uh, you know, the person that gets the press is the autocrat, the dictator, uh, the people that are his henchmen and do his work. Okay, they do his work and they don't get any credit for it. So, you know, that's that's kind of what I would say. Um, so that the two that really that I I see that we have as we as we trace it through and and this is something that even the scribes were cognizant of is that when they were talking about um when they're talking about dagon dagon and baal and enlil they all have the same logogram uh, and then they translated that or they they transliterated that as bad bad and they just let the one symbol exist for different names of gods, Dagon, Baal, Marduk, Enlil, because they're like, they're all the same guy. 
So I'm not making this up. This is what the ancient scribes were believing about Enlil, that he just had a lot of different uh, manifestations, different names, uh, just depending on which region you were actually talking about. But they were all one and the same. Um, so, you know, and I, I think, again, when we get to the the Greek or the Roman gods, uh, that's already quite late. You know, by the time we get to the the Greeks, let's say 700, 800 BC, somewhere in there, that's already, uh, that's not even ancient history at that point. Okay. I mean, you've had a couple thousand years before that, where a whole bunch of stuff was happening. And, and so by the time it gets to the Greeks, I think some of the family lines uh, of these various gods have kind of broken down. It's a little bit harder to say exactly who's who. And, um, you know, so it's just tricky. So, you know, like, I don't think that, you know, Saturn, Saturn um, almost seems to be a, a variation on the creator God, but then he's not. You know, so what happens to Saturn is Saturn is hated by the various gods. Zeus, you know, kills him, as it were. But that's the very thing that Enlil is saying about Anu. And Anu, the creator god, is the one that Enlil stole the Anu ship from. He stole the authority that was rightfully Anu's, and then he usurped it and and attributed that to himself. And then he gave away his Enlil ship to Ninurta. You know, so, you know, these are not exactly easy to answer because the lines get crossed the further we go on. And, um, but what I can tell you is that Enlil is Satan. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, and that's coming from Isaiah 14, right? So, uh, Helel is Enlil in the Sumerian uh, literature and um you know you know according to isaiah 14 and ezekiel 28 this individual was the greatest he was the top top dog the big cheese the big kahuna you know he he was the the top dude in every category is is who we're talking about and who is that well that's satan that's the devil uh and again even the devil that's not another name for satan that's just the greek version of the slanderer, okay? Satan is the one who opposes. It's an, a variation on the idea of the slanderer. Rechulatcha uh, is what is the word there in Ezekiel 28. And uh, it's by the abundance of your slanderings. Slandering in Greek is devil, diavolos. You know, so we just have to kind of follow these various ideas. And sometimes there's a, a description of this person rather than a particular name. So the only name that I can really put my finger on is Enlil. And even that seems to be Lord Wind, which Paul talked about, right? He says, the prince of the power of the air. I'm like, well, there you go. Right? We have confirmation every way you look at it. There's confirmation of who we're talking about. Gotcha. Awesome. Well, Doc, man, it's been, it's been awesome. Appreciate yes. you. Thank you. Um, again, if you haven't gotten uh, Corrupting the Image uh, by Dr. Douglas Hamp, go to Amazon, get the book, go to Audible if you like listening to it. Uh, get uh, get the books, follow along with us. Um, we're, we're going on a just a fascinating journey through uh, 
through corrupting the image of the series. All right. Camp on, Doc. Camp on, Chris. Until next time. Peace. Came down to top vanity, brought the proliferation of humanity. A fallen sons of the most high God took advantage of the planet he made, forming a holy alliance of evil. And look at the daughters of Adam in vain. That the flood rain came to restore his creational order to how he arranged. But the disembodied spirits of the giants still want a war, still want to kill in the core to see the blood of the innocent spill on the floor. That's the demoniac and the kind of gets you a combined heal and restore his image bearers in his second chance when he coming back because he's bringing a sword. This ain't a planned sermon, it's a welcome to Camp Herman. Yeah. Welcome to Camp Herman. This ain't a planned sermon, it's a welcome to Camp Herman. Yeah. Welcome to Camp Herman.